If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa Cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa Cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. On this edition of Confessions of a Marketer, we're talking analyst relations. Hi there, Mark Reed Edwards, back with another edition of Confessions of a Marketer. I want to thank you for all the comments and encouragement as we get this thing underway. We're all the way up to episode 7, if you can believe that. Program note, this is a two-parter. Episode 7 today, we talk with Duncan Chappell of Kia Company about analyst relations. And next time, we continue the discussion with a couple of short anecdotes about the perfect type of analyst relations presentation. Coming soon, we'll be talking about the marketing-sales relationship, plus some lessons from broadcasting. Lots more exciting stuff to come as we look at 2018, so stay tuned. On to today's episode. Duncan Chappell is a managing partner at Kia Company, a global advisory firm that delivers influencer relations and strategic guidance for vendors of high-tech products and services. Duncan has been a consultant and analyst with Ovum, Europe's largest technology analyst house, and successfully founded and directed an international relations business. He also played a central role in founding the Institute for Industry Analyst Relations in 2007 and was a member of its founding board. I wanted to get an inside view on analyst relations, so I couldn't think of a better place to start than with Duncan. I was able to sit down with him on November 16th, just after AR Insights in Cambridge, Mass. Let's get to the discussion. Duncan Chappell, welcome to Confessions of a Marketer. Mark, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much. So, let's cut to the chase. What do you think most marketers get wrong about analysts? I think that marketers misunderstand a number of things about about analysts but the biggest one is the idea of pay to play i think when marketers first meet analyst firms they typically don't meet analysts they meet salespeople and salespeople come along and say if you don't buy what i'm selling then life will be worse for you. Mm-hmm. And, and I think salespeople have to say that, whether they're selling you televisions or, or shoes or, or absolutely anything. And, and I think that means that uh, people get the impression that unless they are buying from an analyst firm, that the analyst firm won't take them seriously. 
and that leads to uh, the, the logically consequential belief that if you want analyst firms to say good things about you, you have to pay them more than your competitor. And those things generally aren't true. Of course there are, I'm sure somewhere, there is somebody who you could pay to say nice things about you. And there have been. Absolutely. And in fact, there still are. But those people are not taken terribly seriously. And I think even if you are not very familiar with the analyst world, you start picking up analyst literature, you start reading it, smart people can smell when stuff isn't really on the level. Mm -hmm. I think people can sense that. And bad research is kind of driven out by, uh, by good research. This is made even more profound by the rise of social media and the way that people are starting to share analyst research. The good research is getting passed around and that helps high quality insight to become more widely consumed by people. And that's kind of changed the business model for analysts mm. too. Yeah. That used to be everything was behind a paywall. Yeah. And maybe the first paragraph or even the first sentence mm -hmm. of a report was visible to the general public. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of that material is freely available. Absolutely. When I came into the analyst industry in the, in the 90s, a lot of vendors perceived analysts as being primarily influencing the wider world through quotations in the media. So analyst reports were extremely valuable, very hard to get hold of. Only people in the IT department uh, had them. And honestly, 20 years later, it's often still the case that even in quite large organizations, very small numbers of people, a handful, two, three handfuls of people, might be the only ones who have direct access to the full research of these analyst firms. But the difference is that now, the number of analyst firms being consumed by managers is vastly greater. And you have organizations like HFS Research, for example, where you've got millions of eyeballs consuming research from these organizations and they're not paying a penny for it. And that kind of influence doesn't just change the business model for the analyst firms, but it also means that analysts are much more influential than, than they ever were. And that was considered the primary revenue stream for a lot of firms was the subscription revenue. Absolutely. I, I used to be an analyst at Ovum and we had a, a massive direct marketing campaign like during the, through the dot-com boom where we would be uh, mailing out to people and asking them to buy our reports for $1,000, $2,000, $3,000, $4,000. And the sad fact was that often that would be at a loss because right. the price of this direct marketing machine, I mean, it's, it's very inefficient. You have to mail tens of thousands of people to get 100 people to buy a report for $3,000, $4,000. And uh, now the business model is so much more complex. Right. Uh, you can make uh, money as an analyst in almost any way. There are analyst firms out there who are primarily producing their research as video. And there's a business model to support that. And this means that previously, analysts who might be you know, hyper-specialized, you know, you're in some tiny German university town and you know an awful lot about business intelligence software, and once only the biggest firms in the world would find you and consume you, and now, you know, tens of thousands of people can be consuming uh, your insight. So the way that you monetize that is much more plural. And I think analysts are, are almost 
unaware of all of the ways that they have to monetize their research, and they almost lose track of all the ways in which their research is being consumed and being used. It's hard to keep track of. Lots of people don't try to keep track of it. Right. As long as it's out there, as long as it's going viral, as long as people are reading it, great. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think most analysts get wrong about marketers? Well, I can, I can start off by telling you the things that I got wrong. So I, I used to be an analyst and I would interact with analyst relations people and marketing people. And there were a lot of things that I quickly realized that I misunderstood. One was that marketing people in technology companies are technology people. And so sometimes you would get information, sometimes marketers tell you things, and they're just not true. <laughs> yeah, and um, I don't believe that. <laughs> and uh, and and, uh, but I mean, marketing technology marketing people say things to analysts that are not true. And there are two classes. There are things that they know to be untrue. So there's of course a lot of uh, puffery and a lot of wishful thinking and a lot. But also, I would meet people who would genuinely explain things to me that were contrary to elementary laws of physics, but they would be explaining to me that their solutions really did that, and they would honestly believe that their solutions really did that. So one of the big surprises is that technology marketing people often don't know their solutions very well, they don't know competitive solutions very well, they don't know the market very well. So you, you come into conversations with vendors and you assume, if, if you've been sent to meet me by a big high technology company, you must be able to participate in the conversation with me. And then very quickly you realize that the ability of these marketers to hold up their end of the conversation is really extremely uneven. The other big surprise is that marketers have got an extremely complex and messy internal environment and they may seem to be the bad guys, but actually they're the good guys. That may cause their apparent lack of knowledge. Yes. Absolutely. I have a lovely example. So I'm here in Boston because I've been attending uh, what is one of the biggest gatherings of analyst relations uh, professionals organized by AR Insights. And one of the people there is from one of the world's largest high technology companies. So I'm, I'm not going to embarrass them, but really one of the very, very largest high technology companies in the world. It rhymes with... <laughs> no, no, no. But, 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 but for example, you know, they, they've been comparing their, their own organization against tiny firms like Hewlett Packard. So, I mean, that, that tells you something that for this organization, Hewlett... They're big. They're a big organization. And yet they are in the situation where their ability to reliably access business leaders and to put those people in front of analysts is extremely limited. Right. Yeah. So they've got a lot of resource, they've got a lot of information, uh, they've got a beautiful portal that you can log into you and uh, you, 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 you know, analysts can access all of, this, all of this information. But if you want to meet them face to face, you've got to be at a very big industry event and you might get a short period of time for a deep dive with them. Now I know this is a big, wealthy, stupendously profitable organization and yet it is not able to eke out from its own organization more than the bare minimum of time needed for executives to speak with these hugely influential market makers. That's his daily reality. But for me as an analyst, it's almost unimaginable 
that organizations don't understand how influential I am. And so I assume if they don't want to meet me, it's not because they're busy doing other things. It's because the truth is worse than I can possibly imagine. Right. Yeah? If, <laughs> if, they, if they won't come and meet me, if, they, if I know, not only won't they meet me, they won't meet the biggest and most influential firms in my industry. It's because the truth must be so terrible that I would be able to smell it if I walked into their headquarters, let alone started to speak to their people. And I think that organizations can't understand how, how, how complex market the, the internal marketing world is. And so they assume that if analysts are not being taken seriously by a firm, of course you assume it's because of the analysts and their incredible predictive powers and their incredible powers of deduction, rather than these people just having other things to do or not being convinced of the importance of analysts. COVID-19 patients need your help. If you've fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot Help save lives and schedule your appointment at vitalant.org. You could help save lives. So you may have answered this question and in, in what you just what you just said, but what angle should a marketer take when when they approach an analyst? Mm. Obviously, from what you just said, maybe they should be a little bit more informed and maybe a little smarter about their own product. But how do they get to that point? Well, the the good news is, in fact. It's doubly good news, because firstly, uh, there's very little that they have to do that is special. Yeah? They simply have to understand what the analyst is interested in and try to come into the conversation with an understanding of what is on the analyst's mind. Right. So it's really super straightforward. The other good news is that hardly anybody is doing that. So. Um, uh, last night, I organized a dinner for some of the attendees at this conference. So we had some really interesting people, including Josh Burnoff. So Josh had 20 years at Forrester, was one of the most cited uh, analysts in the media, uh, year after year after year after year. He gives a lovely example. In his career as an analyst, he probably received something like 20,000 press releases. And of those 20,000, maybe 300 were even tangentially uh, relevant to his work. That absolutely spoke to my experience as an analyst as well, that you get just press releases from an or from organizations that either don't understand me or don't understand what their technology does, or probably both. So the signal to noise ratio yeah. is, is absolutely immense. If somebody was to get in touch with me and say, I read something, that you have written and I disagreed with it or I agreed with it, I would be astonished. And perhaps the experience of the, the most senior, the most desirable analyst at the most influential firms is that they are able to find a few people who approach them in that intelligent way. But imagine for someone like Josh Burnoff, really the most influential, one of the most influential analysts in the world for decades, He's getting a, a tiny handful 
of, of interactions. Most weeks will go by where he will get dozens of approaches every day, but he might go for weeks without any of them being even slightly relevant to him. I, I think you can imagine what that what that means for for, for marketers, and I, I think it also says something about uh, how immense the rewards would be for analysts if they were to just take that time to not email 400 people, but to just pick one person and spend a little bit of time understanding them, and then making a phone call or writing an approach that was in any way personalized to what they were doing. Yeah. What is the best way for a firm, say, you know, high tech firm, software firm, IoT firm, you know, whatever it is, yeah. to get on an analyst radar? I think the, the starting point has to be that getting on the analyst radar is a firm-wide activity. Yeah? It's a team activity. There's definitely something that individuals can do, but it has to be uh, an activity for the firm. Analysts want information. They want relevant information that they can digest and that they can use. That means that organizations need to think what kind of information is being consumed by analysts? What kind of data are they asking for? Very few analyst relations managers do that. Very few analyst relations managers start from that point. Instead, it's the other way around. The company is selling something and you generate information about what your company is selling. And you come along and you say, Mark, I am selling something and I would like to tell you various attributes of this thing that I'm selling. But as an analyst, you are interested in the object itself, but you're interested in the context of that object. You're interested in what that object tells you about the market that it fits into. It could be a great object, but if it's in the wrong place, it just doesn't work. Also, it could be an outlier. It could be an extreme example. It could be a counter indicator. There are lots of firms that are really successful because they're providing something that almost nobody in their right mind would want. Yeah? <laughs> but there are some people for whom it is absolutely the perfect thing. And marketers don't have that perspective to understand what the wider significance is of their solution. And everybody is like this. You, you, you design something, you sell it to 10 people, to 100 people, you think the only reason why a million people haven't bought it is because of the physical limitation that you have in terms of the number of arms and legs and mouths uh, that you have that you have available. Analysts are starting from a different viewpoint. They're starting from the needs of their clients. They're starting about the future needs. Uh, they're often talking about the problems that clients have, which are perennial. And marketers don't come along with that. Marketers don't come along saying, we've got a solution for a business problem that has enduring longevity right. uh, you know nobody comes along and says we've got ways that you can get your invoices paid but your invoices paid a little bit faster people come along and say we've got a you know something new we've got an artificial intelligence solution for your invoices we have something that's absolutely massively at the leading edge but that might not relate to the pain points right. of the problems that that analyst has so if a marketer was to come along with an understanding of the information that the analyst wanted to consume, case studies, references, data that had been pre-chewed and, and pre-formed in some way so that the analyst could quickly assimilate it, then they would be streets ahead. 
but nobody does that. So what's the advice you would give a marketer to uh, get the ear of an analyst? The first thing has to be this understanding that analyst relations is a, is a firm-wide activity. I think maybe the best description I've heard of the task of analyst relations is from Kevin Lucas. He's a, an analyst at Forrester uh, who advises analyst relations managers. And one of the things that he says is that one of the key tasks for analyst relations is to transfer onto the rest of the business responsibility for analyst relations. And at one sense, that sounds like super slippery. I mean, is, is it the job of anybody to transfer responsibility for their job away from themselves and onto somebody else? Right. Well, okay, that sounds super, super slippery and, and super, super wise. Uh, but actually, it's kind of true. You know, analyst relations needs resources from the rest of the organization. And you need to conv convince the rest of the organization that not only can't you be successful without their participation, but that they can't be successful without their participation. Things like reference customers are a great example of that. If you're a salesperson, you are not going to let an analyst relations manager anywhere near your client. You're not going to let anybody touch your client without a very good reason, because any uncontrolled variable might set in a whole series of processes for your client you can't imagine. You don't want any variable to change once you've made the sale. That's why the, the one piece of advice that sales managers get now that they got a hundred years ago and that is still true is once you've made the sale leave the room as quickly as possible. Right. You can only you can only make it worse. <laughs> yeah. And so it's very hard to convince salespeople to provide reference customers, to provide case studies. All, all of these things seem very, very dangerous. And of course that's the reason why analyst relations managers only have slides and promises and slideware and shelfware and they often don't have realities. So the most important thing is for marketers to understand that they have to convince the business to participate and they need to be developing techniques that allow the business to understand the value of analysts, that increase the, the career value of your colleagues who are working with analysts and to use a whole series of devious techniques like this to help mobilize people inside, inside your business. The only other thing they need to know is this super straightforward fact that you need to read the analyst's research, you need to work out the kind of information that they are using, and you have to give it to them. Right. And honestly, even if you're giving them information which isn't really relevant to your company, but is relevant to theirs, then they will appreciate that. You know, So, so maybe there's an analyst who's, who's writing about your technology and is writing about some other technology that is not of great interest to you, but maybe you know somebody who knows something about this. You know, maybe they're writing about something completely irrelevant to you, like coffee. Uh, you know, you don't sell coffee, but maybe your organization contains people who consume coffee or enjoy it or even have coffee machines. You could introduce right. those people to the analyst, and then you're building a multi-dimensional relationship with that person. You're making them value you because they understand that you have some sympathy for them, that you're following them, that you're alert to their work, that you genuinely want to help them to be successful in their careers. It's basic empathy. So actually, successful analyst relations just boils down to those two elements. It's having a little bit of empathy for the, uh, for the analysts. Easy to do that. You just need to read what they're writing and think intelligently about what kind of information must they be using in order to write these sorts of things. 
and then it's convincing your colleagues about how much easier their lives would be if they were being more helpful to industry analysts. So getting cooperation to do case studies, getting um, you know engineering specifications, you know whatever it is, getting the right information in the hands of probably first analyst relations professionals then to the analysts. Absolutely and and also uh, feeding the good news about success back to the rest of the organization. In a way what analyst relations managers need to do is find their internal stakeholders who are helping provide information to analysts and make those people the heroes. Yeah? The people in market intelligence who took the extra five minutes to produce that statistic the product manager who skipped her lunch break in order to be able to speak with an analyst, the executive who responded to an email. You have to make these people heroes and to make analyst relations uh, an accelerator and a catalyst in their internal status and their careers in the short term for them to see that it's worthwhile, for them to be helpful to analysts and to be helpful to analyst relations people. Because it's only afterwards that they'll see the big benefit of analysts recommending you onto shortlists, or analysts speaking too favorably to potential investors, or analysts mentioning you in the media. I really want to thank Duncan for the interview today and invite you back for a bit more next week when we talk about the ideal analyst relations presentations. A hint, they don't involve a lot of slides. This episode of Confessions of a Marketer was written, produced, and edited by yours truly. T. Jordan of A-Class Productions wrote the theme music. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Reed Edwards Global Inc., and this episode is copyright 2017. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. You've never tried to eyeball six feet as often as you do now. You wear a mask, you wash your hands, and you've stayed within the walls of your apartment for more hours than you care to add up. But unless you live in a smoke-free building, you're not exactly home free. Secondhand smoke drifting through the cracks in walls or sink drains carries toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. And right now, lung health is key. Go to tobaccofreeca.com to learn how to stay safe.